I remember hearing at a revival growing up one time that if that doesn't get your fire burning, your wood's wet. <laughs> Our scripture today comes from the gospel according to John. John chapter 6, beginning verse 16. I encourage you, if you have your Bibles, to turn with me. We're going to kind of look at some nuances in this scripture. There are also Bibles in the pew. John chapter 6, verse 16, where John writes, When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. And when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus on the sea and coming near the boat. And they were terrified. But he said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. They wanted to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the land toward which they were going. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. God, we're just so grateful for your love and your grace and for the privilege now of studying your holy word. And as I stand before these, your people, I pray that this would be your message and not my own. Through the name of Jesus Christ, amen. We often love to hear the story of Jesus walking across the water. Now, most of the time when we read the story of Jesus walking on the water, we love to go over to Matthew chapter 14 or to go over to Mark chapter 6. One of the reasons we love some of those scriptures as well is that, that they tell us that, that they thought they were seeing a ghost and, and then Peter later gets out and tries walking across the water himself. John doesn't tell us any of that stuff. John tells the story a little bit differently, but it's important, I think, to, to kind of read sometimes and go, well, what is John trying to say? I mean, what is, why is John telling the story so differently than the others? Matthew, Mark, and Luke are known as the synoptic gospels. Sin, S-Y-N, meaning same as, optic, vision, the way we see things. So a synoptic means Matthew, Mark, and Luke see things the same way. John sees things a little differently. John tells the story differently. The orders of, of, of what Jesus did in his life are different in John. And, and John tells life a little bit differently to make different points. So what is John telling us here? Well, Jesus had just finished feeding the 5,000. That's the first part of chapter 6. You might remember the story that Jesus is on the other side of the Sea of Galilee and crowds of people had been following him. They wanted to learn from him. They were bringing their loved ones who were sick for Jesus to be able to touch and heal. And, and we're told now there's, there's over 5,000 people that are there. And Jesus says, we need to, we need to feed these people. And, and they look at Jesus and said, have you lost your mind? I mean, I'm not making it up because Philip actually says, Lord, it would take six months salary, six months salary, half a year's salary to feed a crowd like this. And how do you get a caterer immediately? 
to feed this kind of crowd. I mean, what do you mean we need to feed them? And then, kind of in a sarcasm, I think, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, comes up and goes, hey, but good news. I've got some good news for you. Found a kid. Found a kid here. He's got five barley loaves and a couple of fish. Barley was often the, the bread for the poor, but, but can you imagine what it would have been like to have been this poor kid? Because oftentimes, parents would send a child to take food to their loved ones who were out working in the field or working maybe down at the docks or, you know, even we saw with David and Goliath, take it to your brothers who were fighting in battle. Take some food to, to your loved ones. And, and so imagine that this kid was supposed to be taking food to his family. And all of a sudden... Somebody's going, hey, kid, how much food you got there? And the kid's going, I am in trouble. <laughs> and we know it's kind of sarcastic because Andrew even says, we've got this kid here with five barley loaves and two fish. But what is that? What is that really among so many people? So Jesus has the crowd to sit down and he takes the bread, he blesses the bread, breaks it, gives it to the disciples. They disperse it out among the crowds and the next thing you know, they, they've all eaten their fill and there's 12 baskets full of food left over. And the crowd's going, this is cool. This is amazing. I mean, if Jesus can do this with five loaves and two fish, just imagine what they could do, he could do if we made him king. And I love the way the scripture says that, that they decided to make him king by force. I want you to be the king. Don't want to be the king. No, you are going to be the king. Don't want to be the king. No, you're the king. I mean, it's just kind of amazing how, how they go about it. And, and so Jesus, we're told, slipped away up into the mountain by himself. So now it's evening. We're told that the disciples return to the water and they get into a boat and they get ready to cross the sea to Capernaum. Now, again, the Sea of Galilee is a beautiful place. And, and so try to imagine, if you will, a bowl. Because the Sea of Galilee is kind of like in a valley, like down in a bowl, because there's hillsides all the way around it. And, and it's just one of the most gorgeous sights. When you top the hill the first time and you get to see the Sea of Galilee for the first time, it is absolutely breathtaking to, to look down and here's this beautiful blue water. And, and it's because you've got fresh water there and, and it's otherwise often an arid land. I mean, you see the greenery and, and it's just absolutely an oasis. It's a, it's a beautiful sight. And so now the disciples are down and Jesus, remember, has gone up onto one of those mountains on the hillside and, and they're getting into the boat to go to Capernaum. Why are they going to Capernaum? Well, that's where Peter lived. That's where some of them lived. I mean, in other words, we're going home. It's the end of the day. We're going home. We're going home to be with a family. We know Peter had a family. Jesus heals his mother-in-law. We're going home. And, and so they get in the boat to go, but Jesus wasn't there yet. And John tells us that it was dark. Now, that's kind of important to John because John is constantly teaching us that Jesus is the light of the world. And in John 1, he lets us know, and, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. And so I want you to pay attention to that sentence because it said, it was dark outside, and Jesus had not yet joined them. 
There, there's a point there. I mean, one, it's dark outside because it's evening. But the other reason it's dark is the light of the world is not with them yet. The light of the world is not with them yet. And so they get in the boat and they start going across the Sea of Galilee and a storm comes up. And the wind begins to blow and the waves begin to toss. And one of the things, again, that's why I wanted you to kind of picture the Sea of Galilee is, is this bowl where this, you know, the, the sea down there in the valley part is with the mountainsides around. There would be valleys that would work their way between the mountains to the water. And as a result, storms sometimes will get caught in between these mountains and, and it literally funnels that wind and funnels that storm right onto the water. So one moment you can be out there and it's slick as glass and pretty as it can be. And the next minute, a storm has literally come sailing into the, into the Sea of Galilee and waves are tossing, winds blowing, and you can be in a mess. It is late at night. It's dark. And the disciples find themselves in a storm. And the thing to remember is these disciples are fishermen. It's not the first time they've been on a boat. They're not out there going, oh no, we've got wakes. Do you cut a wake at a 45 degree? I mean, when do you cut, how do you cut a wake properly? They're not sitting there trying to work that out. And, and you have to remember too, they've been rolling now for a while. They're, they're not out there with, you know, going... Well, storm's coming up, but that's okay. I've got a Johnson 250 on the back of this baby. I mean, we can cut across the lake here in no time. We'll be, we'll be home in just a second. Watch this, because I can scoot about 70 miles an hour across the water here. You know how every fisherman has to be able to get to the hole faster than anyone else? Well, they didn't have that. They were oaring. They, they were rowing with the oars, and, and we're told that they're now about three to four miles out there. Now, why does John waste the time to tell you that they're three or four miles out there? It was because he's making it clear Jesus wasn't walking on the shoreline and they saw him because they were right up next to the edge. No, he's three or, they're three or four miles out into the sea. And they're rowing as hard as they can row. And Jesus comes walking to them on the water. And this is one of the things that's really different with John than Matthew and Luke, or Matthew and Mark, rather, because Matthew and Mark says that they saw a ghost and they were terrified. You see, they, they thought it was a ghost because the sea was known as the abode of the demonic. That's where the demons live, they believed. And, and when they saw a figure on the water, they just assumed it was a ghost. John says they saw Jesus. He says nothing about a ghost. They knew it was Jesus. They saw Jesus. And yet they were terrified. You scratch your head and go, if they saw it was Jesus, why were they afraid? Well, I mean, when you, when you look at it, some of the commentators and some of the scholars on the scripture go, well, this, these disciples have been following Jesus as the Messiah and they've seen him touch and heal people and they, they just watched him feed the 5,000. But this is a storm in the middle of the sea and he is walking on the water. Many call this a theophany. Theo means God. And so a theophany is a manifestation of God that, that this was Jesus revealing to the disciples, I am God. And, and when they back that up by the next phrase, because Jesus comes walking up to the boat. I love that. I mean, you're out there just going as hard as you can go and Jesus comes walking up. Hey guys. And then he says, it is I, 
Do not be afraid. But that's not really what he says. You know, one of the things that happens when we translate Scripture from one language to the other, or any language from one language to the other, we can lose some of the nuances. Pastor Rocio is constantly helping us as the staff, you know, that sometimes when you, you take Spanish into English or English into Spanish, you have to be careful about the nuances and how you, you don't lose some of the nuance of that. And, and so in the Greek, there's something going on that we don't really see in the English. That This was written in Greek. And in Greek, you can normally look and go as something's first tense, second, you know, first, second, third tense, whatever it might be, or first, second, third person, by looking at the verb. And what is the prefix of the verb or the suffix of the verb? And that'll tell you if it's I am, you are, they are. It'll let you know by looking at the verb. But Jesus uses two words. John uses two words when he tells us this. It's redundant Greek. It's over and over. It means he went, I am, I am. I am, I am. Don't be afraid, he says. It's I am, I am. Now, that may not make sense to us if we don't really know the scripture, but back in Exodus, in Exodus chapter 3, God is calling Moses to lead the children of Israel out of, out of Egypt. And, and Moses has tried everything he can do to talk his way out of it. Uh, God, I, I'm love to help you, and I am so honored that you would ask. I mean, me of all people, thank you. I am, I'm humbled. But I'm not a good speaker. God goes, fine, take your brother. He speaks pretty well. And one thing after the other, well, God, what about, what about, what about? And, and, and finally, Moses says to God, Exodus 3.13, but Moses said to God, if I come to the Israelites and I say to them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. He said further, thus you shall say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And this is my title for all generations. So I am that I am is the name of God. I am, I am, in Hebrew, the Old Testament was in Hebrew, is Yahweh. Y-H-W-H. Y-H-W-H. Yahweh, it's the name of God. I am that I am. And I've shared with you before in your Bibles, you'll notice that a lot of times in the Old Testament, some even in the New, you'll see that the word Lord is in all uppercase letters. The rest of your scripture is uppercase, lowercase, capital letters, little smaller letters. But the word Lord is all uppercase. Why? Because it's, it's their way of telling you the scribes and the rabbis and others were so careful never to take the Lord's name in vain that instead of putting God's name in the scripture, they substituted the word Lord, but they told you that by saying, now actually in the text, it says the name of God. We're going to say Lord, lest we dare take God's name in vain. And it's important to know that, for example, Yahweh there were no vowel, you know, the vowels in, in the Hebrew language. So it's actually then it becomes Jehovah, which a derivative of that later on is Jehovah. And so Jehovah allows people to say the name of God without quite saying the name of God, lest we take God's name in vain. The reason I'm telling you this is people didn't just walk around uttering God's name. 
But John tells us Jesus does constantly. As a matter of fact, there's seven times that he says, I am, I am, I am God. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the light of the world. He tells us that, but there's, there's like 20 some times in John that Jesus will say something with the name of God in it. And what Jesus then actually says here as he walks up to the boat is, don't be afraid. I am that I am is here. Don't be afraid. I am God and I am here with you. You don't have to fear. I'm God. Isaiah 41 verse 10 says, do not fear for I am with you. Do not be afraid for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my victorious right hand. I'm God. You don't have to be afraid. God is with you. You. God is with you. Then I love what John does in verse 21. It's very subtle, and we often miss it. But then John tells us, then they wanted to take him into the boat. They hadn't invited him in the boat yet. I mean, they were terrified, remember? Jesus came up and said, Hey guys, there you go. Hey, Jesus, hop in. They're terrified. And it's Jesus then going, you don't have to be afraid because I'm God and I am with you. And once they understand that he is God and therefore he can remove their fear, now they want to bring him in the boat. They invite him in the boat. And then John says, and immediately the boat reached the land where they're going. Matthew and Mark tell that differently. What does Matthew and Mark tell us? Jesus get in the boat and what happens? The wind stops. The waves calm down. Everything's slick as glass. I love the way John tells you the story. Because John does not tell us that when Jesus comes into our lives, that means from now on, slick as glass. It doesn't mean that once Jesus comes into our life, from now on, there'll be no problems. John does not tell us that the wind stopped. John does not tell us that the waves went down. What John tells us, that even though they were three to four miles out rowing with everything they got, once Jesus got in the boat, they arrived where they were going. Jesus was able to get them where they were heading. I'll tell you, I, Jesus has been in my boat for a while. I have accepted Christ as my Savior and been following Christ for a long time, but I've been through some storms. What John lets us know is, the good news is, when Jesus gets in the boat, he'll get you where you're going. He'll get you through the storm. And you're going, well, you're kind of making that up. No. Flip over to John 17 when Jesus is praying before he's to be crucified. He throws himself on the ground. He's praying to God. It's a long, beautiful prayer. And he's praying for the disciples. He's praying for the church. He's praying for all of us who someday will follow him. And he says then in John 17, verse 15, I am not asking you to take them out of the world. I'm asking you to get them through it. I'm asking that you would protect them from the evil one. I'm not asking you to get them out of it, but to get them through it. And John lets us know when Jesus gets in our boat, it does not mean you'll never have another problem, but God can get us through it. Some of us, when we arrived here today, we arrived in the midst of a storm. 
I mean, sometimes we're in a situation that's brand new. We've never, we've never sailed these waters before. Just yesterday, I, I shared with you last week that yesterday I was going to be doing a funeral for one of my dearest friends in the world, a friend for the last 24 years, and it was tough. I'll just tell you, it was tough. And following the services, his wife has given me a hug. She said to me, I just don't know what to do. I've never been in this place before. I've never had to do this before. I don't know what to do. Man, sometimes we find ourselves in a boat and we are, we are rowing as hard as we can row, but we've never been in these waters before. We don't know exactly how to handle and how to navigate these waters. Others of us, we find ourselves in a storm and we've been here before. Man, I, I battled this before. And, and, and we know the water. These disciples, they were fishermen. They had been on that lake daily. They had been on that water. This was a new storm on the same waters. How do we handle that? Many of us, we, we find ourselves caught in a storm. Marriages that are caught up in a storm and, and in a crisis and issues with our children. I was talking to someone not long ago and, and they don't go to this church, so don't try to figure out who it is. But, but we were talking about their kid that, that I knew as a child and, and, and dearly loved this kid and, and they were sharing with me he should be paroled perhaps as early as next year. They went through a storm. They, they, that family had gone through a, a huge storm. They're still in it. They're, they're rowing with everything they've got. Sometimes we find out my, my company got bought out. I, I don't know what I'm going to do. And, and I'm, I'm 60 years old. Who's going to hire me now? Or, or here's a diagnosis that I've got to deal with. Or, or, or here's the death of a loved one and, and I don't know how that I'm going to deal with that. Or, or here are issues in the denomination like going on right now in our church where the general conference is meeting and we're going, man, this is a storm. Or families that are going through tragedies. It just seems like regularly we, we find out that, that some family in our church is a new storm, a new storm that they're rowing through. And for some, it's their relationship with Jesus Christ. They've, they've never quite surrendered their lives to Christ. And, and, and that brokenness, they're just constantly rowing as hard as they can row, but taking on water and afraid they're going down. Well, here's the good news. Here's the good news. John lets us know Jesus comes to us. The disciples were out in the middle of the sea, but Jesus came walking to them. Jesus said, I, I'm not going to leave you. And, and he says, you don't have to be afraid because I'm God. Joshua chapter 1 verse 5, no one shall be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I'll be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. Deuteronomy 31 verse 6, be strong and bold. Have no fear or dread because it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. Oh, here's the good news. When we find ourselves in a storm, it's God who comes to us. That God so loves us that He comes to us. But there's something you need to hear. As I share with you, it's an important word that then they wanted Him in the boat. You see, Jesus will not get into the boat until He's invited. 
I don't know if you know much about boating, but, but one of the things about boating is if, if it's not your boat, you don't just go up and jump on somebody else's boat. And for those of you who are not bikers, I'll just go ahead and tell you this. It, if you come and hop on one of our motorcycles without us asking you, you can get hurt that way. I mean, that's not, that's not good stuff. You don't do that. You don't, I don't care how good a friend you are. You don't ever go sit on somebody else's motorcycle without asking them first. No. And so here, you, you know, Jesus comes up and, and if you come up to somebody else's boat, you ask the question, permission to come aboard. Permission to come aboard. And then they respond. Permission granted, welcome aboard. But you don't just step on, you ask. And notice what happened here is Jesus came up to the disciples' boat and they're still rowing away. And Jesus is explaining who they are, but it's only after they invited Jesus that he got on the boat. Because you have a choice. Jesus is not going to just come up and jump in your boat. But he will come to you and give you the chance to invite him on. Permission to come aboard. He just told us earlier in John 3 when he was having a conversation with Nicodemus. He explained it to Nicodemus. He's looking him in the eye and he goes, Nicodemus, you see, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He's telling this one-on-one. So that if you'll believe in me, you'll not perish but have everlasting life. But now it's up to you. Permission to come aboard. But you have to decide whether you're going to invite me into your life. You have to decide whether you're going to invite me into your heart. Revelation 3.20, you have that beautiful scene where it says, listen, I'm standing at the door knocking. Jesus said, I'm standing at the door knocking. And if you hear my voice and open the door, I'll come into you and eat with you and you with me. But I'm knocking. He didn't say I'm breaking it down. I'm standing at the door and I'm coming in whether you like it or not. And some of the paintings that you've seen of Jesus standing at the door knocking, one of the things to pay attention to is, is most of the time when it's painted, there's no doorknob on Jesus' side. You have to open it. Jesus is not going to pick the lock to your heart. He knocks. But he's not one who breaks in. Permission to come aboard. Permission granted. And then the good news was is that when we invite him in, that does not mean the storm's just going to immediately go away. But Jesus can still get you where you're going. He can get you to your destination. I don't know what you're dealing with today. My concern, though, is this. I don't want you leaving here still rowing as hard as you can row and making little progress. Because Christ has walked to you today. And he's standing beside your boat today. And he is saying to you, you don't have to be afraid. Because I am God. And I am with you. The disciples... They said, welcome aboard. And immediately, they arrived at their destination. The challenge is, is will we leave here today without ever saying, welcome aboard. And inviting Christ into our hearts, into our lives, or into our storms, whatever it may be.
Will you pray with me? God, we're just so grateful that in the midst of the storm, you're willing to walk across the water. I mean, you are willing to step into rocking waves. You're willing to face the headwinds of the storm right alongside of us. But you do not abandon us. You're always there. And you reach out to us and you tell us that that no matter what kind of storm we're going through in our lives, we don't have to be afraid because you are God. And no matter what kind of storm the church may be going through, we don't have to be afraid for you are God. And God, we're so grateful that the disciples then invited you in the boat. And they made it where they were going, in spite of the storm. God, we invite you into our boats, into our lives, into our hearts, into our storms. And God, we just pray that if there's one here today that that doesn't have that relationship with you as Savior and Lord, and man, are they rowing as hard as they can row, but just not seeming to get anywhere, As a matter of fact, it may even be taking on water. God, we pray that they would hear your call and say, permission granted, welcome, welcome aboard. And God, whatever the issue may be, step into our boats and help us to get through it. For when you are with us, we can fear not. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.